Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. We are in week two of a series that Pastor Rocky kicked off and started last week called Flip the Script. Look at somebody next to you and say, Flip the Script. Flip the Script. Last week, Pastor Rocky kind of introduced us to this concept that when Jesus Christ of Nazareth came on the scene, when he lived and taught, the things that he lived and the things that he taught were countercultural, they were subversive. Some would say that they were rebellion in that time because he didn't subscribe only to the law that was in place at the time. He always raised the standards. He flipped the script on the law. And so Pastor Rocky led us through John 8 last week with this story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And as the townspeople drug that woman out into the middle of the street, and by law there was an execution that could have taken place, they posed this question to Jesus to try to trap him, to try to get him into a position where he was either choosing mercy or justice. But Jesus, in his response to them, saying, those of you that have no sin cast the first stone, in that response, it fulfilled the demands of both justice and mercy. Just the fact that Jesus, as Pastor Rocky said, was the only one there that day that was qualified and justified to pick up a rock, he chose not to. Just one more way that he proves that God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. So we're gonna pick up with that theme of flip the script this morning, and we're gonna start in Matthew chapter 18. I'm gonna give you a moment to get there. Matthew chapter 18. Uh, In Matthew chapter 18, we get this kind of view, we get this inside look and this conversation that Jesus has with one of his disciples, and then we also get where Jesus teaches a parable, a heavenly sto- an earthly story, rather, to teach a, a heavenly purpose or a godly spiritual purpose. And so in Matthew chapter 18, uh, starting in verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged and I will pay everything back. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But then that servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Let's pray. God, we thank you for 
your word, God, as challenging as it is, God, we know that there is so much love that is wrapped up in the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and the person of Jesus. And so, God, today as we examine these words, God, I pray that you would in turn examine our hearts, God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show us the places and the spaces that we may not even know are there that we are holding back from you, God. I pray that your word today would rightly divide truth and that, God, we would act on that truth in love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, about a year ago, actually a year ago in like three weeks, I think maybe, to the, to the day, um, I had the extreme honor and privilege of being a part of a wedding. Uh, not just any wedding, Caleb and Mariah's wedding, Caleb McKinley and now Mariah McKinley's wedding. Uh, I've, I've been a part of, of Caleb's life for a really long time. I was his youth pastor for a lot of years. We go way back. It was a huge honor when he asked me to be a part of the, the wedding party, and so I had the opportunity to stand with him as he said, I do, and it was just an amazing day. It was an amazing experience, like lots of laughing, tears, just a lot of beautiful things happened that day for that ceremony. And, and it wasn't until after the ceremony was over that we all went to the reception area, the reception hall, took a bunch of pictures, as happens at weddings, um, and then we're getting ready to go in and make our entrance. Now, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, it's been a while since I have been in a wedding. I've done plenty of weddings, but it's been a while since I've been in a wedding. And one of the trends that has gained popularity, apparently, since I got married back in 1934, was that, that when they announce the bridal party before the bride and groom come in, is that all of the bridal party have these little, like, choreographed things that they do to try to, like, make everybody laugh or just kind of be this moment, right? I did not remember this. I didn't think about it, honestly, until I got to this point where we're all as a, as a bridal, as a wedding party, just standing there at the doors, and the doors are about to open, and the DJ is gonna announce each one of the bridesmaids and groomsmen at a time, and all of the other bridesmaids and groomsmen, they like all started talking about what they were gonna do. It's like they had this whole thing planned out, and they didn't invite me to the party where they planned it all, because they were all like, oh yeah, this is what we're gonna do, and then this is what we're gonna do, and like, you know, like some of them like had a dance move, and I'm like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't dance, right? I don't dance. Um, the only time I dance is if my wife is on the dance floor, and that's because I love my wife, okay? Um, plus, that's just not fair. I, I said that I don't dance. I didn't say that I can dance. And so what I did not want to happen is me to go out there when they announce my name and start dancing and everybody be, wow, and take all of the spotlight off of Mariah and Caleb because it would have happened. I'm that good of a dancer. So I'm like, I'm not dancing, so what are we going to do? And so we devised this little plan with the help of some of the other people that were in the wedding party, and so this is what we landed on. You ready? Myself as a groomsman and the bridesmaid that I was escorting in, what was going to happen is when they announced us, we were going to walk in. She had a bouquet in her hand. She was going to pretend to throw the bouquet like a football. I was going to be the receiver in the scenario, and I was going to run down the left sideline just to go route, catch it over my shoulder, strike the Heisman pose. Everybody was going to go wild. It was gonna be amazing. It was gonna be impressive for all of those that were gathered to see it happen, all few hundred of these people that were in this room. There are two factors I did not account for. One, I was wearing rented shoes at the time because it went with the suit or the tux or whatever that we rented. I did not account for how slick the bottom of these shoes would in fact be. 
The second factor I did not account for was how slick the floors of this venue were going to be. And so here's how the scene played out. They announced our names, everything was going right according to plan. I started acting like I was running really fast. I caught a pretend football, all perfect, and then I went to plant this foot to strike this pose. This foot found no purchase upon the floor, however, and so this foot slipped all the way out from underneath me, leaving me in the position that you can see in this picture that's gonna be on the screen. <laughs> Listen, by the grace and mercy of God, I did not fall all the way to the floor. Somehow, in his infinite wisdom, he allowed me the reflexes to catch myself with one hand in what looks like it's a dance move, I promise you it's not. That face is a face of fear right there, I'm telling you. That was one of those moments where as I'm falling, it feels like it's taking an hour and a half for this thing to play out. You ever been in one of those moments where you know it's only a split second, but it feels like it's taking forever, and I just, I mean, as I'm falling, I'm just like, oh man. And so I, I caught myself, came back up, I mean, I'm sure, like with this haircut, there's no hiding when I turn red, just so you know. And so I'm sure that I turned beet red right away. Now, I was fully committed to the bit, and so I still struck the Heisman after I stood back up. Not with all that much pride left in me, and then I went and kind of like hung my head, and a few people that knew it was supposed to happen, they were laughing so hard, right? But there were a lot of people that didn't know what we were planning, and so they were like, oh, I just thought that was part of the thing that you were doing to which I thank them for being liars to my face because there's no way that that looks intentional. And then I was looking at this picture, and I'm looking at the faces of the people in this picture. There's no way you thought this was intentional if you were there. There's no way at all. I was mortified. If you know me, like if you know my personality type, if you know like kind of how I do, like this is so far outside of my character to even agree to do something like this, but then to be that embarrassed, I had no idea what to do. Like it's one of those things, it's one of those embarrassing moments that like I'll be just minding my own business throughout the day and then all of a sudden this will pop into my mind and I'll get oh, like embarrassed over again. Like I feel like I have to apologize to everybody that was there that had to see that happen. You ever been in a moment where you were wanting to impress people, but you end up embarrassed instead? I feel like this is kind of the inside look that we get in this passage of scripture in our text today, because Peter, the disciple of Jesus, Simon Peter, was trying to impress Jesus with this question, how many times should I forgive someone who hurts me up to seven times? And he said this with all the bravado I could only imagine of believing that he was impressive in this moment, only to be embarrassed, I'm sure, by Jesus' response. But if you know anything about the Apostle Peter, you know that this is in character for him. Like if, you, if you've read the story of the Gospels, you realize that Simon Peter is that guy that is bold. He's that guy that honestly, his life is entertaining to read about. Because he's the guy that did things first action first and then think about the consequences later. This is the kind of like the, the summation of who Simon Peter is as a person. Simon Peter had huge faith, but, but not a whole lot of wisdom to go with that faith sometimes. And so that's why we find Simon Peter in situations like when Jesus is walking on the water beside the boat that all of the disciples are in. And he basically talks Jesus into inviting him to walk on water with him. 
So Jesus says, come on. And Peter, in all of the boldness and all of the faith that he is filled with, steps out of that boat and is the only other person in this whole story to walk on water. He's the only one of the other 12 disciples, the other 11 disciples, rather, that walked on water that day. However, he is also the only one of the 12 disciples that sank into the sea that day because he got his eyes off of Jesus. Huge investment into the front end of his decisions. Not great follow through from Peter most of the time. And so knowing this about Peter helps us understand a little bit about this conversation that he's having with Jesus because I fully believe that Peter is trying to impress Jesus with this question. And, and, and if you know anything about Jewish custom and culture in this time, then you'll know that there were some other things that, that Peter probably knew information that he was using in this moment to try to impress Jesus as well. I mean, it's never a bad idea to try to impress Jesus, right? And so what Peter knew was this, is that there was this rabbinical writing that the elders taught at the time that was quite common knowledge. And it, it sounded like this. If, if someone transgresses one time, forgive them. If they transgress two times, forgive them. If they transgress three times, forgive them. If they transgress four times, do not forgive them. The common thought, the common law of the day is to be a good person, you are supposed to forgive somebody three times. And then on the fourth time, you are required to extend zero forgiveness to that person. And so Peter, knowing this, is probably building his information and his question off of this information, thinking, man, if three is the minimum, I've been hanging around Jesus long enough to know that he's always asking us to go to the next level, and so maybe I'll just amp it up. Plus, Jesus, or Peter has already heard Jesus in Luke chapter 17 talk about the, the fact that, it, that you should extend forgiveness up to seven times to someone who is repentant to you. And so Peter takes his knowledge of the three requirement and then the seven that Jesus offers as a, a, a rule of life. And Peter, in his attempt to impress Jesus, goes, how many times do I have to forgive someone who has hurt me up to seven times? I'm sure thinking that he was about to get all of the accolades from Jesus. And Jesus failed to be impressed. Jesus instead flips the script and tells Peter not seven times, but 77 times. You talk about flipping the script. You talk about Peter going from bold and faith-filled to probably a little bit embarrassed at that moment. Absolutely, that's what happened. Now, I, I, before we go any further in the story, I want to address something because depending on what version of the Bible you are reading, yours might say something a little different here. The version that I read from the NIV, this says that Jesus said not seven, but 77. Your Bible might read not seven, but 70 times seven. And if you look, there's a footnote attached to that. Uh, if, you're, if you're on your phone, you can click that footnote. It will take you down to the bottom where it will basically tell you the opposite could also be inserted in this place because it depends on the translation and where the translation is coming from. Without getting into the weeds and too in-depth with all of this, essentially what is happening is Jesus is referring to something that happened in the Old Testament. 
And, and when he was referring to the Old Testament, he either could have been referring to the Septuagint, which was the Greek interpretation of the Old Testament, or he could have been referring to the Hebrew Old Testament. And so depending on how the person who actually wrote these these uh, translations, whichever one they're going from depends on what that reads like. Honestly, the number's not that important. What we need to know is that Jesus is pointing back to a statement by a man named Lamech. Lamech was found in Genesis chapter four. Lamech was a man who had no problem literally killing people that came against him. And in all of this kind of brash personality, he makes this statement in Genesis 4, 24, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech, speaking of himself in the third person, then Lamech 77 times, or 70 times seven, depending on your translation. Essentially what Jesus is doing is when Peter says, how many times should I forgive somebody up to seven times? He's pointing back to Lamech in the Old Testament, and he's saying, if this is how vengeance is applied in the Old Testament, let's flip the script. This is how forgiveness is applied in the kingdom of heaven. And so he took that and, and flipped it upside down. Now, listen, if you're, if you're still kind of caught up on the numbers, let me just tell you, the numbers here are really not the most important part of what Jesus says. Because there's, there's even some scholars and theologians that believe that when Jesus said what he said about either the 70 times seven or the 77, that he was referring to a number that was, that was kind of commonplace there, not even really a number, more of something that represented an, an infinite number, something without any end. And so whether you think that, that your Bible says 77 and that's the way that it is, your Bible says 70 times 7, or you want to subscribe to the theory that some theologians have that it means an infinity amount of times, an infinite number of times is what we're supposed to forgive people, honestly, the number, the amount is not the most important part of this. Because the reality is, is that if we are keeping count of forgiveness, it doesn't matter if it's 77 or 490 or infinity, if you're keeping count, have we really forgiven even the first time? If we're trying to keep count and we're trying to, to make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to do, we're working out of our flesh, and have we really even truly forgiven that person in the first place? And so Jesus responds by flipping the script completely. I mean, he went above and beyond, way above and way beyond. In response to Jesus's question, or Peter's question, how many times should I forgive someone up to seven times? No, 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 not seven times. Seven, seven times 70 or 77 times. And, and in this moment, if, if we're just looking at a glance, what this feels like is that Jesus is, is giving us a rule to abide by. And I'm sure for his Jewish listeners at this moment, that probably was the last thing that they wanted to hear because, you see, in Jewish culture, there were already 613 laws on the books that they had to follow to be good enough. And so adding more laws and more laws in the way of that high of a number of the times that I would have to forgive someone feels just downright oppressive and it's hard to reconcile, especially when the same Jesus is the one who speaks in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Forgiving someone an infinite number of times or 490 times or 77 times does not sound easy and it doesn't sound light. And so at a glance, it seems contradictory. It seems like Jesus is contradicting the nature of who he is until we realize that the teachings of Jesus are more than just laws or rules 
or even godly principles. You see, they are a description of the very nature of God himself. That is what Jesus is communicating. When he teaches us to forgive 77 times or 490 times or an infinite amount of times, he's not just telling us what to do. He is literally telling us who he is because this is not a principle. This is a person. Jesus is revealing to, to Peter in this moment and to us what he, or who he is, rather. He's saying, listen, Peter, when you're asking me for a number of the minimum morality of how many times you have to forgive somebody, let me tell you who I am. I am Jesus. I forgive like this, 77, 70 times 7, an infinite number. There is no end to the forgiveness that I extend. This is who I am. And then Jesus says, I invite you to follow me and forgive like I forgive. That's what's happening here. It's not another law of oppression that he's putting on us. He's revealing his character. He's revealing his nature and letting us know that he forgives this way. Now let's be really honest with each other this morning. This is challenging in principle all by itself. If we were speaking about this in a vacuum where there were no circumstances in your life right now where everything is perfect, everything is great, and no one has wronged you, this is still challenging information. Like when I started writing this and Pastor Rocky told me what he saw, his vision for this series, and when he told me that this was gonna be the topic for today, I was like, man, this is gonna be one of those ones. I'm not gonna get a whole lot of, woo, it's just not that kind of thing. Because this is challenging just in principle, but then when we start to apply that to our lives, man, it gets tough. It gets difficult. If you think I don't know that, then try preparing a message to preach about forgiveness when you're reminded of all the people that you need to start extending forgiveness to in your life because Holy Spirit has a way of doing that when you prepare a sermon like this. But if, if there's a, a, a situation, a relationship in your life where this applies to that and you're, you're reading the words of Jesus and it's very convicting and very challenging for you, then there's a really good chance that one of two things has happened in that relationship or with that person. The first is this, is that they have wronged you over and over again in the same way or in a similar way. So they keep saying that thing that they know offends you. They keep doing that thing. They keep poking the bear, so to speak. They, they keep offense going, and, and because of that, it's just this continual like forgiveness, then they do it again. Forgiveness, they do it again. Forgiveness, they do it again. And so maybe that is the situation that is kind of on your mind and on your heart today. But the other reason that this would apply to our lives is if something had been done to us, someone had hurt us profoundly enough, deeply enough, cut us in a way to where we are reminded of that one instance, that's that one thing that happened over and over and over again. You, you, you're reminded of it when you see this certain person. You're reminded of it when you hear something. And so that memory just keeps flooding back over and over. And so you've got to go back to the well of forgiveness and apply that to that relationship again. And whether it's over and over again from that one thing or whether it's over and over again because that thing is just repeated, the reality is, is it's difficult to reconcile the words of Jesus Christ when he says not just seven times, but 77 or 70 times seven. Forgive like that, that person that lied to you. Forgive like that, that person that used you, that person that stole from you, that mother-in-law that oversteps her boundaries, that person that gossiped about you, the person 
that abused you, the person that takes credit for all of your hard work on your job, that boss that fired you, that ex that left you just a shell of a person. We have to forgive that person. Is that really what Jesus is saying? Is that really what he's getting after when he says not just seven times, but over and over and over and over? And how? How? Because that pain is real. That wound is deep. That hurt is still very fresh. And maybe some of you, as I'm saying this, kind of the, the, the countenance that you're taking on or the attitude that you're taking on, maybe you're sitting back, maybe even, and in your heart, you've cr- kind of crossed your arms and you've kind of got in a defensive position and you're ready to argue this. They don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. What they did, they do not deserve forgiveness. I have the right to hold them in contempt for what they did. I have the right to hope that they get what's coming to them. And I have the right to celebrate when it does. Like that, that is my right. And you know what? You're right. That is absolutely your right. You can choose to hold on to all of that unforgiveness and all of that bitterness and all of that resentment and all of that anger and all of that hatred and all of those other things. You absolutely have the right to do that, but the kingdom of God is not about my right. It is about laying down my rights in favor of his righteousness. Yes, I have the right to do it, but I desire righteousness more than my right to hold on to this unforgiveness because that's how the kingdom of God works. And this is what Jesus is teaching about and it's what he's introducing. And so when Jesus says, not just seven times, but 77 or 70 times seven, over and over and over again, and then he continues to illustrate this kingdom principle, this kingdom perspective with a parable, a story. And I don't want to read the whole story again. We've already read it earlier with our text. But just to, just to kind of surmise it, there's a, a very wealthy master who is, is basically cleaning up all of his books, all of his accounting. And he wants all of the debt that's owed to him to be paid. And he calls in this one servant of his that has an enormous amount of debt that he could never possibly repay in his lifetime. He brings him in and he calls for the debt and the guy just breaks down. He begs him, please, 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 please. And the master has mercy on him and says, go, your debt's forgiven. Unearned, unmerited, your debt is forgiven. And that same servant who's just been forgiven walks out of there, finds somebody who owes him a much smaller sum of money. and says, I want what's coming to me. I want that debt that you owe me. And when the same scenario happens and that man begs for forgiveness and begs for more time. There is no mercy, there is no grace dispensed at all. The Bible says that that he choked him and threw him in jail until he could pay the debt. When the master finds out about this, obviously he is not happy. And so he goes ahead and throws that first man who was forgiven into the prison to be tortured until he could pay back that entire debt. You see, the, the idea of this parable the message of this parable is pretty clear, right? It's, it's, it's not hard to find like some of the other parables and stories that Jesus tells. It's pretty much on the surface that when you have been forgiven, there is an expectation to forgive others. When you have been forgiven, when I have been forgiven, there is an expectation in the kingdom of God to forgive other people. And I do not believe that it is an accident that Jesus tells this parable in this context while Peter is there. Now, we don't know 
if he's telling this parable only to Peter, we know that there was a conversation that happened one-on-one with Peter and Jesus in the first two verses of our text today. How many times should I forgive? Up to seven. Not just seven, 70 times seven. And then this parable, we, we can assume that Peter is there in the room or at the space when Jesus is telling this parable, but it's, it's not lost on us that Peter is a recipient of this story. Because when Peter earlier asks, how many times do I have to forgive someone? When he asks a question about forgiveness, Peter has no idea what is going to be happening in his life in the near future, but Jesus does. So when Peter is asking that question, Jesus knows that what we find in Matthew 26 in the scene of the Last Supper, when Jesus has gathered all of his closest disciples to him, And he's explaining what is about to happen. He's explaining that he is going to be crucified. He's explaining that he is going to be leaving, that he's putting the movement in their hands, and that there is a comforter that is coming. All of these things that he is telling his disciples in this moment as he's washing their feet, one thing that he says is, Peter, you are going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, before the sun rises. And Peter, in true Peter fashion, no way, Lord, not me full of faith, just, I mean, can't argue against it enough, never. I would never, ever, ever, ever do that. And then you fast forward quite a few verses in Matthew 26, and you find Peter sitting outside trying to warm himself by a fire. After Jesus has been arrested, he's inside of this home, and in this home there is an unlawful trial taking place that is about to to sentence Jesus to execution. It is a tense moment. Any follower of Jesus was trying to hide out because they didn't know what was next. They didn't know if after they they killed Jesus, they were gonna kill all of them. They didn't know, and so there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of tension. And we find Peter over and over and over again be questioned to his face. I think that you're one of the disciples. I saw you with Jesus. No, 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 he's emphatically denying knowing Jesus, the existence of Jesus, having any relationship at all with Jesus. Deny, 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 and then all of a sudden he hears the rooster crow. Can you imagine the mental state of Peter in that moment? Can you imagine the amount of failure that he must have felt on his heart that moment. He had to have known that he had to have let Jesus down, he let himself down, he was disappointed, and he had to have thought to himself, there's no way that I'll ever be forgiven for what I have just done. I have denied the one who's about to give his life for me. And after this moment, after the rooster crows, there are several notable things that happen. Jesus is, in fact, executed on a cross. He's crucified and he's buried, but then this resurrection takes place three days later and Jesus starts appearing to people in this resurrected form. And one of the moments that you read about in the New Testament of Jesus showing up and and appearing to people and talking to people was one evening, actually one early morning, he shows up on a beach and Peter and a couple of other disciples had been fishing all night on this boat. That was Peter's original profession. And so they went out to fish. Maybe they went out to try to clear their heads. Maybe they went out because they were just scared. Maybe they just did it because that's what they know to do. It's a default action for them. And so they're fishing all night, catch nothing. They get a little closer to the shore. They notice that some man is on the beach. That man gives them a few instructions and miraculously, they catch all the fish. It's kind of Jesus' thing, right? Catch all the fish. 
And, and it's like their eyes are opened and Peter recognizes that it's Jesus on the beach and the Bible says that he doesn't even wait for the boat to get to the shore. He jumps off of the boat and swims because if it can get him there a split second earlier than everybody else, he wants that opportunity. He is running, throwing himself at the feet of Jesus in this moment. And then Jesus gathers the disciples up, takes some of the catch, and he cooks some breakfast. Can I get an amen? amen? Jesus loves breakfast. And so he cooked breakfast for these disciples. Peter there. So this is kind of the scene that we find when we look at John chapter 21. It's after they've finished breakfast. It says in verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. How many times did Jesus ask him if he loved him and how many times did he ask him to feed his sheep or his lambs? Anybody keeping track? Three. How many times did Peter choose to deny Jesus in that courtyard? Three. See, what Jesus is doing in this moment is he is reinstating Peter as the head of the movement, the rock that he's gonna build his church upon. But in a more personal level, He's extending forgiveness to Peter. He's asking and he's saying, giving this command, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He's saying this over and over, almost applying it to each one of the denials that Peter had of Jesus in Peter's weakest moment. Everybody around that campfire knew what happened. Jesus knew that he had, had, had denied him. Peter knew. Peter probably expected to never, ever be forgiven in that moment. And Jesus expresses this forgiveness to Peter who did not deserve it. And, and I can't help but wonder if maybe this is the moment. Peter's belly full from a breakfast that Jesus just cooked, his clothes still drying from being wet when he jumped out to swim to Jesus. I wonder if this is when it really sinks in for Peter. I wonder if Peter in this moment thought back to the conversation that he had with Jesus in Matthew 18. I wonder if he thought back when he was trying to be impressive and suggest that he forgive someone seven times. And I wonder if he remembered Jesus's response. I wonder if in this moment he realized that seven didn't matter, that 77 didn't matter, that 490 didn't matter, that an infinite number didn't matter. The only number that mattered to Peter was three. The three times that he denied Jesus and the forgiveness that he desperately needed from his Savior for those three indiscretions. I just wonder if that's when it hit him. I wonder if that's when it hit him that he did not do anything to earn or deserve the forgiveness that Jesus was freely giving him. And then I wonder if maybe his mind started to wander back to that same conversation about the seven and the 77 and the 490. And then I wonder if Peter just had his mind blown when he's like, man, Jesus forgave me for this three times. But Jesus said that who he is, is he forgives over and over and over. It's way more to cover what I've done or what I could ever do. I just wonder if it sinks in in this moment. 
And I can't tell you definitively that that's what happens in Peter's mind on the beach that day while eating breakfast, but I can tell you that that soaked into who he was as a person and it changed his life. Because we read in 1 Peter 4, 8, as he pens himself, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter cannot write that unless he knows for a fact and personally that his sins had been covered. Peter doesn't write this passage of scripture right here out of a place of trying to earn forgiveness. Peter writes this passage of scripture knowing he did nothing to deserve it, however, having accepted that free gift of forgiveness from a savior who refused to keep count. And for us, the only way that we can truly forgive as Jesus invites us to forgive from the perspective of the kingdom of God, the only way we can truly forgive is from a place of forgiveness ourselves. We cannot give what we do not possess. We have to accept, recognize the forgiveness that Jesus places and covers over the sin of our life and wipes that away only from that posture can we begin to forgive other people the way that Jesus asks us to. It's only when we truly understand the expansiveness, the depth of the forgiveness of God that we can forgive others that do not deserve our forgiveness because they don't deserve it. And I have the right to not give it to them. Pastor Rocky said something in, in our second service last week. If you were here during the service, you know. Just a, a real quick, small quote, but it stuck with me. And he said, found people, find people. And I would like to add something as we continue this series. That forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people can dispense forgiveness. And that's the only way that we can truly forgive the way that Jesus has invited us to forgive is if we understand the forgiveness that was given to us. Forgiven people forgive people. And I wonder if, if you're here this morning and you're just exhausted from trying to forgive out of your own strength. Like you, you wanna follow Jesus you want to do what Jesus is asking, but man, that's 77 or that 409, that's a huge number. And you're just beat. You're exhausted from trying to forgive out of your own strength. You've been trying to forgive them out of obligation when in reality we need to forgive out of a revelation of the forgiveness of Jesus in our own lives. We have to know for ourselves the power of the forgiveness of Jesus before we can give that to anyone else. Maybe you're in here right now and, and you're holding back forgiveness that, that you need to dispense to a relationship in your life, not because you're being spiteful, but maybe because you don't feel like you are even worthy of the forgiveness that Jesus offers you. And so how could you possibly give that forgiveness to someone else? You just don't have it to give. You feel like you've done this and that and all of these things, and there's no way that that forgiveness could cover me. See, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, it tells us this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins 
and purify us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful. He is just to forgive. And he doesn't just forgive three times. He doesn't just forgive seven times. It's 70 times seven. It's more forgiveness than we could even know what to do with. But we can only give that if we receive it. So Jesus flips the script of forgiveness and he invites you and he invites me to do the same thing. Not in my strength, not in my ability, but through the forgiveness that's been extended to us. We can forgive that person over and over and over and over because we have been forgiven over and over and over. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.